Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. How's everybody doing? Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Ryan Tansom here. Today's guest's name is Rob Nelson. Rob was the previous CEO and owner of Logica, which was in the software transportation world, and he risked everything, got out of college, and grew this company into a very healthy, mid-sized business that was bought by a strategic buyer within their own industry, and why he was appealing to the competitor was because of how much data that he had access to and all the information that he was bringing to the forefront for his company and his employees. And one of the my favorite takeaways was that data tells a narrative and he was able to tell lots of great narratives around the information that he had at his fingertips because of how he ran his company. And that led into his second half. And so Rob's already into his second act with the company called grow.com and grow is a business intelligence data dashboard company so his whole transition and the journey from logica into what his uh, current company is grow is a fantastic story and there's a lot of great gold nuggets in here and uh, he, rob did a lot of things that are absolutely best in class and how he went through the whole transition so without further ado i hope you enjoy the interview with rob good morning rob how are you doing today good thanks ryan well, I really appreciate you coming on the Life After Business show. Hey, you bet. Happy to be here. So I'm very uh, excited for today's show because I found you via Facebook ads and with your new company, and I started interacting with one of your account reps, um, and he told me your story in the midst of me taking a look at your product, and it intrigued me because you're already kind of on to your second half and your, your a different journey because... Uh, at a young age, you've already gone through a transition. And so for our listeners, would you just kind of give us a little bit of a background on you know, the, the company that you had started and um, kind of how you came to where you are today? Yeah, you bet. Um, so I, uh, I was in college at the time. I was dating uh, my wife at that time and, um, and uh, needed to earn some income while I was going to school. And somebody said, hey, why don't you um, get involved in this company? It's a new startup. Um, and, uh, you know, you can open up a, a little office where you're at in this college town and, um, open it. We'll give you a few sales territories and you can just go to work. <clears throat> so, you know, I, you know, I, I, I did that and have zero success. I mean, I, I made cold call after cold call and just <laughs> could not sell anything. It was so frustrating. And we got married and there was a couple of times I came home and, you know, cried to my wife, like, Hey, I, you know. I, I can't make this work. This is a dog. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, so I went back to the investor and said, hey, this is losing you money. Like, you're not involved in it. Um, it's a distraction for you. Why don't I just take it over and I'll run it as cheap as I can and get your money back out of it? So he agreed to that. I, um, I moved the company uh, about an hour south, hired a gal, her and I ran it. And as I just scaled it down and got really intimate with the customers. I could see the value and um, just started to grow it from there. And I went back to the investor and said, hey, I think I can make this work. You know, can we do a buy-sell agreement? And um, so he threw out, you know, a, 
an astronomical price I never thought I'd be able to hit, and we just lived off rice and beans um, for several years, and every cent went to paying that <clears throat> that uh, business loan off. And then, uh, so we owned it, and, you know, as I took ownership, full ownership of that, you know, started to hire and build kind of a sales team and brought on a, a CTO, and we started developing our own software and kind of morphed it into services to a software company. And... Uh, and, you know, here was the pivotal point of that business is that we brought in a management consultant and she helped us start to really track our metrics and our numbers, those things that really, you know, accelerated the company and moved the dial. Um, and and I, as I look back, you know, having gone through that process and really manage it by the numbers and become data-driven, so to speak, and uh, get transparent in the company with those numbers, that was the most transformational thing I did as a CEO. Hmm. It had the greatest impact. Um, <clears throat> so, you, you know, but the process of doing that was just, was brutal and it was a nightmare. And it took us hours and hours to update spreadsheets every month. So we only did it once a month. So the data was always a month old and it was stale and out of date. So I called several companies that were dashboarding companies or BI companies and said, hey, can you solve our problem? And, um, and everything was, you know, really expensive, built for large enterprises, really complex, or it was just really basic and off the shelf and didn't solve the problem. So I didn't solve that problem. I ended up selling the company, um, but that gave me the idea for Grow and um, what we're doing now. So that's an awesome overview, and there's so many different pieces I want to kind of dig into. First of all, to kind of go back, um, when you were, first of all, what gave you the guts to to put all your your chips on the table for the company when you hadn't seen success? When so when you went back to the investor, what what got you going? You obviously believed in the the, the company or the product. Yeah, I mean, one at the time, I mean, to be honest, it was like I had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what, what was my alternative is to go get, you know, a job somewhere or it's like, hey, I'm, um, I can, you know, pay for the company out of the growth of the company as I build it and scale it and learn. And so, um, you know, I say it was an astronomical price and it, it actually was a great deal for me and provided a lot of experience and um, was just a great experience. How did you guys, uh, how did your investor value it and how did you guys go... Um, into uh, getting the terms and conditions of that buy-sell agreement? You know, I think he, I don't remember the formula. I think it was like, hey, you know, with you running it really inexpensively, you know, here's the net income, and I want a multiple on the net income. And uh, so that's, I, I think that's how we did it and established the price and, and then worked towards that. And And what he did, because, you know, it was a little unfair to do that, but he said, hey, whatever percentage you pay towards that price is the ownership that you'll get. So I knew that, like, hey, if I was only 50% there at the end of the five period, then I'd own 50% of the company. Hmm. It just happened to be that I I paid, you know, I, I paid for all of it. Interesting. And just uh, for our listeners' purposes, I mean, it was you, you were uh, involved in the transportation logistics industry, correct? Yes, it was. It was software around shipping and logistics. So we did analytics and reporting um, around 
all of that shipping and logistics and, and did auditing through our software and some other things. Which I think is important to know because of why you got into where you are today because you, you need your, I mean, your business is relying on business intelligence because that's, I mean, logistics is a, you know, a very uh, tight margin industry to begin with and all the information um, that you've got to track because we used to have 26 uh, vehicles on the on the road too with technicians and parts and inventory and um, how you're analyzing that information is extremely important. So what you're doing for your clients was obviously very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I, as we kind of moved into that space with the company over time, I just became more and more fascinated with the data that, or the story that data tells and how important that is. And then I, you know, had it firsthand on my own, you know, uh, inside the company saying, hey, as we became data-driven, I saw this natural accountability just increase across the board with everybody. Mm. Um, I saw this alignment that just happened with people's efforts kind of aligning with the things that we track, that we put emphasis on. And it was a, it was a beautiful thing. So what were some of the, the – I love how you said the story that data tells because it doesn't lie, does it? And I'm curious on – with your company – what were some of the? What was the story that the data was telling you? Well, I mean, we looked at, um, you know, the whole, you know, as we looked at like the whole process, and and you know, as we established the metrics, I mean, we banged out like eighty percent of the metrics, like in the first, you know, hour. That's not difficult. It's like the twenty percent that, you know, you refine over time and make modifications that are really kind of custom and unique to your business. Um, so, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, here's a really, really basic example. It's like, you know, our accounts receivable, our AR, what we needed to collect from customers. You know, having that in kind of a scoreboard format and somebody had ownership of that, it was like, hey, your job is to reduce it. What, what's your goal this week or this month to reduce it down yeah. to? And then, you know, it, you know, it became this, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you're trying to figure it out and, you know, holding people accountable is not easy. And as you can kind of transfer it over to the person and now you're on the same side of the table looking at the problem together and you're saying, hey, what is your goal? What should we do to, re you know, where do you want to reduce that down to and what actions are you going to take? And then when you come back and you look at it again to say, hey, did that work or did it not? Hmm. And that's when, you know, um, execution, I think, becomes really, really good. Um, when you can get into that space, and then you don't feel like you're the bad guy all the time as the entrepreneur, and, and that's another you know beautiful thing. So that, that's one example of um, you know how we you know how we use the data to to do those those things. I love it because um, I I completely agree with you. We uh, at our company we went through um, a couple ERP conversions, and when you've got bad data, it just creates tension and people on the wrong side, even though they don't know why. And uh, when you clarify it all, it's amazing what happens. Uh, I'm curious on that. How how did you figure out what, I mean, that, that AR example is actually a very interesting one because that's one of the key metrics in the eight key drivers that we talk about with our customers and a lot of our listeners were reducing receivable, the receivable time, right? And making sure that you're not, your customers aren't using you as a bank. And how did you go into figuring out what these overall metrics are? I mean, did you have some guidance from th that consultant or what were some of the uh, ways that you put that into place? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we had some guidance, but it, it was, um, you know, the guidance came from, like, you know, talking to people on the leadership team to say, you know, and understanding the process of our business to say what are the bottlenecks and what determines success, you know, in each department. And really looking at those two things is what brought clarity more than anything else. I love it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we look at sales and marketing and, you know, I mean, in, in that you look at the sales funnel and then you're on to operations and, you know, uh, development or whatever it is. You just keep getting more and more refined to figure out what is it that, that means success for us. That's right. And then the whole concept of lean analytics of like, hey, it, you know, just start small. Like, as you just track a few things, it will evolve and you'll start to ask questions and say, well, what about this? And, and you kind of move into that. If you just try and like brainstorm and come up with 50 or 100 things that you want to track, it's like overwhelming and it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Analysis paralysis, right? That's right. Yeah. So, um, as you were, uh, refining your business, what, where, what was the dialogue in your head? Kind of walk us through the timeline from, you know, as you started taking over the company to the growth, how many employees did you have? And at what point did you start to have the dialogue in your head that you might be looking for something else? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great um, question. So, you know, what I did was all bootstrapped. I didn't raise money and um, we just organically grew it out of the profits. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a healthy, profitable company and, and I ran it conservatively. We weren't trying to conquer the world. It was, let's just build a really good profitable company and, um, and uh, built a, a good team around that. And when you get into a space and this is what, you know, I tend to obsess over is like, how do you, how do you win in this space? And I, I wanted to make sure that we could dominate in our market. And, and I felt like we did. And we got to a point where, um, you know, it's rare we lose deals. And, you know, somebody explained it to me this way of like, you know, the business of doing business, which is getting more and more customers at a higher and higher margin, using more and more service or products. Um, relative to the market and relative to the competition, meaning you're beating out both of those. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I think the term, you know, defines winning for me. And we got to a point where we just, we were winning in our space and, and um, it was rare we lost deals. And, and um, so we had a bigger company come and knock on our door. So, so we were a uh, typical small business, a team of 35 um, and, uh, so, th so that was our size. We had uh, a bigger company um, come and knock on our door and, you know, say, hey, are you for sale? And, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like if somebody comes to your house and asks for it, you know, it's like, no, not for sale. But, like, you know, if you want to make an offer, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, so they came back and they made a, an offer. You know, I think it surprised me. It was a good offer. We turned it down. They came back and made another offer. We turned that down. And then they said, hey, what – what are you looking for? What would you need to do? What would you, where would we need to be to sell? And so we threw out some terms and conditions and um, not sure if it would stick. And they came back and agreed to all those. So oh, no way. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It, you know, it surprised us. And it was this great experience, you know, I mean, it was a great company and, um, and you hear the nightmare stories of once they get into due diligence, like, 
you know, they, they, everything is nitpicked over and they beat you over the head and beat the price back down to what they want to pay. And, um, that just wasn't the case. So, um, in our scenario. So from the first time that they knocked on your door, like, what was that process? I mean, the couple times, I mean, first of all, why didn't you sell? And then what was it that decided, like, what did you put into the criteria of the terms and conditions that you wanted to, um, throw out to them? I mean, um, so the big one is the price. And, you know, so I looked at this and went through my own experience. It's like, look, I don't want to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not going to get like emotionally really involved until they drop a price to know if this is like even in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was like, I, I was just super kind of casual about it. And yeah, let's see where you guys come back at. But, you know, I'm not going to spend much time doing, here's financials and, um, and a little bit of info, but you know, that's it. I'm not doing, you know, spending hours of time doing due diligence, um, gathering. So, uh, <clears throat> I just didn't take it that serious. We didn't, um, really want to sell, but I was at the point where I was been do- I've been doing this for, you know, I was doing it for 12 years and I was just kind of, you know, was a little bit restless. I uh, got it. Um, yeah. So, uh, so they came back and they, they did give a price and it was like, oh, you know, maybe they are in the ballpark. And so um, they came back with another price. And then the, the terms and conditions we threw, I mean, number one was a price. Like, hey, if we can get that, we feel great about selling the company and, you know, no regrets. Um, and if we can close in like a few months to, you know, catch it at the end of the year. And so, you know, we get the, uh, we get the long-term capital gains tax rate as it was because it was going up the next year and, um, and it was an all cash offer. So those, I think were the three all cash that, offer, we, huh? nice. <laughs> that, that we, uh, that we, that we did. And, uh, so they came back and, and agreed to that. So, um, you know, I was just, you know, I was just telling my dad the other night that like, I think every entrepreneur or business owner should go through that experience because it, it is this really rewarding time where, it's full of emotion and, you know, you, you kind of turn over your baby to somebody else and, and it's just this new exciting period that, um, you know, and there's a reward behind it. I mean, it's a, it's a great experience. Everybody should experience it. Have you ever read the book, uh, finish big by Bo Burlingham? No, I haven't. Um, it's a, it's a must read. Um, my listeners think I'm a broken record on this. I've had him on the show. He wrote a book. He used to be, uh, the, uh, uh, one of the chief editors of Inc. Magazine, and he wrote this book, uh, Finish Big. He also wrote Small Giants, and he talks about like an entrepreneur that actually finishes big and is able to actually transition out and come out the other side happy for a lot of reasons, and their baby continues to thrive without them afterwards. That's great. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, It's fantastic. And, and, and um, so a couple of uh, questions about the, the transition. Um, the company that knocked on your door – Financial buyer, strategic buyer, strategic, and I was getting calls. I mean, when you you know, I was getting calls weekly, right, of uh, private equity or you know other groups, and um, you know, I just didn't take it that serious. But when this one called, I was like, all right, this is strategic. This would be interesting. So, how did you wrap your head around the fact that you were just kind of lobbing out some numbers, and then next thing you know, you're closing in two months? I mean, how did you deal with that? Um, 
you know, I, when when I did throw out the numbers, it was like, okay, we'll go back and rework the numbers in our model. It's like, look, it's not going to work in your model. Like, this is, you know, you're asking how much, you know, what what would it take for me to, like, give, you know, turn this over to somebody else, and that's the price. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I mean, that doesn't work in every instance. I mean, if, I think if you're winning in the market and, you know, you're having fun, which we were, you know, you, you could get to that point. But, um, so it was like, Hey, you know, a big piece of what we do is the technology play and how do you value the technology and what's, you know, what does that bring? So they looked at it like, Hey, what are, I mean, they looked at it purely on like, hey, what can we cross-sell and the revenue and the value that we can get to like make up for deficiencies in our core product mm-hmm. with you know these guys? And what can we cross-sell their customer base onto our products and, and get a predictable margin there? So that's, that's how they looked at it and how we... Um, we justified the price. Well, I can only imagine what the data that you've got access to because of what you were doing had to have been a lot easier of a conversation than digging through paper files to try and make that whole conversation work. Here, here's, you know, one of the most satisfying parts of this is that their leadership team came up and they sat in on my leadership team's monthly meeting to review our metrics. And... Um, when that meeting got out, the president was walking out with me and he said, hey, we thought we were buying you for all these other reasons. Or we thought your secret sauce was all these other reasons. Like your secret sauce is what we just experienced here, is that you know the numbers, you know the data, you're taking action based on what the data is telling you and moving really fast. How cool. I bet you that felt good. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was like, that was a big payday, you know? So what what I what I really liked about what you're saying about the strategic um, the strategic buyer because I think that's a big conversation that a lot of our listeners or entrepreneurs are dealing with where there's all these financial buyers are out, that are out there that are in the business of buying businesses and they're generally going to try and get a good deal because that's where they make their money but then the strategic buyer is the one that's going to come in and it's less about getting the exact multiple or some discounted cash flow model it's about really trying to figure out what the return on the purchase is and why they're buying you. And it sounds like because of the data that you had, you were able to have that conversation very easily. So it's less about, you're more on the same side of the table trying to figure out how to get the puzzle to work together instead of trying to out-negotiate each other. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, another difference is when you're dealing with a financial buyer, I mean, they've got fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders, so the due diligence becomes... Um, I think more, you know, it's just a lot more painstaking and um, involved and, and deeper than what I've seen strategic buyers go through. Um, and the fact that, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the things that I felt like we did a, a pretty good job on is just kind of keeping track and being organized with everything. So like we had a really nice file server set up with everything structured in there all documentation in there, like any customer agreements, all NDAs, all vendor agreements. <laughs> um, it, you know, so that that became where we could close and fund the business and, you know, um, to be acquired in two months. 
I'll tell you what, I mean, you, you are definitely a unique soul with all that organization as an entrepreneur, which I, I think has a lot to say about why you're doing what you're doing. But I, from all the people that I know that are entrepreneurs, it's, they've got notebooks that are half full all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, thinking that, hey, at some point, that's, that's the dream, right? It's, that was my dream at some point is to sell the company and to have some kind of, um, you know, harvesting event. And, you know, that's pretty dang hard to do that when stuff is in shoeboxes, you know? Yep. So, yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, after, after um, we got acquired, I stayed on and, you know, was involved in the company acquiring other companies and saw those mistakes, right? Where, you know, we did due diligence and then passed on things because everything was just kind of really disorganized and, um, we just didn't feel confident in anything that we were given. Um, really big gold nugget that you just said too, because that just shows the difference between what you did and the, a, a lot of business owners out there where it's it's not necessarily that their operations are poor, or they're not making money, it's just you're not confident because the data is not there to prove the story, right? I mean, like you said, the data has got to prove the narrative. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, you know, I'm kind of a data guy, so that's, you know, where I kind of go. And I don't mean to paint it like we did everything right. I mean, there's certainly, I look back and it's like, oh, you know, I should have done a lot of things different to um, to be a better CEO and and an entrepreneur. What are, any anything that pops to the top of your mind? Um, one, I, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I should have, yeah, I mean, there's things in my own management and leadership style that I would have done differently. I would have been more involved in certain areas that we struggled in. Um, I would have dove deeper into the weeds at times and then kind of come back out to fix certain problems. Um, you know, I I would have done a lot of things differently on the marketing side. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, I mean, this is something I like am passionate about, but like, all of our reps were doing their own prospecting, and um, I, I think that's a big mistake. You know, I've got an opposite view now where I think, you know, all of the prospecting should not be done by the reps, and they should just scrub in like a surgeon, and the sale, sales reps should just scrub in like a surgeon and do, like, presentations and close deals. Got it. So there's a lot of things I would have done, like, oh, I should have done this to scale up, and we would have been better. And But, you know, I mean, that's it, – um, hindsight bias, but you know, yeah. there's a second time for everything. And I, and I, that's why I, I want to kind of transition in what one question is we transition to kind of what you're doing now. Um, what was it like to going from running the show and being CEO and owner to working for the, the buyer for a period of time? Ah, uh, that's a good question because I never considered myself an entrepreneur until I was no longer running the show. Oh, really? And I just thought, you know, I kind of accidentally, I don't know if I should even call myself, like, if I'm an entrepreneur, I don't know. I mean, these guys, these entrepreneurs are great people. I'm like, I just, you know, I, uh, you know, I look up to them and I just kind of stumbled upon this, you know, and, and, uh, never, I don't think gave myself enough credit until I wasn't in that role. And when I'm not, when I wasn't in that role of like building and creating, I just wasn't happy. And, um, you know, you got a good paying job and you're working there and you're contributing and doing interesting things, but like, you know, not having the decision-making ability and not, um, 
you know, not being able to build and create killed me. And so I'd come back and I, you know, I'd come home and, you know, I'd talk to my dad on occasion. He's been my mentor. I was like, dad, I'm like, just not happy. You know, I'm going to do something on my own. I'm going to do something else and like start, start something, uh, start something else. And the advice he gave me, I thought was really good. He said, look, don't start something. Don't leave and start something because your job sucks or you're not happy. <laughs> He's like, that's not the motivation that's going to like get you to win and get this thing, the new venture up and running successfully. He's like, start because the, you know, the, the missed opportunity is what's keeping you up at night. That's what's making you miserable. So I had to, you know, I, I honestly just waited until I was at that point. So I, you know, I just put more time and effort to say, hey, what, what is it that I want to do next? Where will I get my fulfillment at? And like, once I pinpointed, it's like, all right, this is, this is what I need to do. And that missed opportunity is keeping me up. How did you find that? I looked at, um, you know, I made a list and I had five things on my list of like my next venture needs to meet these five things. If I could hit all five, great. I didn't think I'd hit all five. If I could do four, maybe three, that was a good, good idea. So every idea I had, I just bounced up against my list of five. So the first one was, you know, I needed to stick with what I know. I know B2B services. I don't know anything about consumer products or, you know, selling shoes, you know, I know Mm -hmm. B2B services. So number one, number two is it needed to be tech or software focused. That's where my passion is. Number three is that it needed to have reoccurring revenue. Um, That was something I was super interested in. Super interested in, sorry to interrupt, but that's like, that's like the gold standard, isn't it? I mean, to wake up and get paid on the first of every month. I mean, it's, it's something that I think people in the tech industry really get, but it's, it can't be understated because of how healthy that makes your company. Yeah. Yeah. And you see this big shift right now of everything's kind of moving to this subscription economy, right? Versus like, you know, one-time purchases and Mm -hmm. um, one-time purchases is hard. I mean, there's great companies that do it, but you know, how do you find some kind of reoccurring revenue stream? And that's what I was looking for. Um, So I think that was three. Number four was that I wanted it to scale beyond the U S I wanted like international customers and have that experience. And number five is if I could hit this and I'd be like, you know, I'd be money, which was I wanted to solve a problem that I dealt with personally. Because uh. right, you know, at the time I was, you know, we were building software for companies, large companies that did a lot of shipping. It's like I never had that experience. I was building stuff I thought was cool based on the feedback customers were giving me. But I wanted to be like intimately familiar with the problem I was trying to solve. That's cool. So, so I have ideas and I bump them up, and you know, it's like uh, two or three out of five. Like I kick it to the side, and you know, had had it boiled down to two, and then it was like, okay, these are the two that I really like, and I'm going to go. And that's when I left, you know, and, and uh, left that company to go do one of the two. So that is a perfect transition into how you've started this other journey because, you know, I think you, you, you've, you've really done a really, really good job because I, a lot of entrepreneurs are so identified with their, with their current company that to look beyond and figure out these five things and the criteria, I mean, you did a lot of soul searching and, you know, explain to the, the, our listeners your your next journey, how you started grow, why, I mean, wh- how you found these five things and what that intimate problem is that you were trying to solve. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, that, that problem was that, you know, how, as, an, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, how do I get information? How do I get the data for my company, like, always up to date with me updating in real time? And it's not, I'm not waiting until financials are closed out. I'm not waiting until the end of the quarter or the end of the month to, like, see numbers. And, you know, I'm trying to make a decision today. How do I get the most relevant data? That's, that's the problem. You know, and on top of that, most companies like I had you used different software applications and had maybe 10 critical applications with data spread across it, whether it's an ERP or an accounting system or uh, uh, CRM or marketing automation, a database, whatever it is. So that's, that's the problem. And, um, and, uh, and, and again, seeing the impact that it had inside my own company of transforming that, you know, was, was real and um, it was this really neat experience to watch. The other thing that I wanted to get to is I read the book, um, Four Disciplines of Execution. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it talks about the scoreboard concept and like, you know, when people just see the score, you know, people, performance just naturally increases. People want to win, you know, and, and I think out of anything in, in the culture that you create in a culture, it's like this, um, like attitude of the, like, Hey, we win around here. Mm-hmm. That, I think that contributes to great culture more than anything else. So, um, I wanted to get to that scoreboard concept and, you know, again, just couldn't find anything that like, and I really tried to solve it like using different things out there in the market. And when I saw like, okay, I'm super passionate about this. I see, I talk to other people and they don't, they can't find a solution either. And it's a real problem. That's, that's what uh, fueled the fire on grow. And, you know, I mean, we named it grow. I mean, my wife came up with the name with it. You no know, way, really? like, that's we're, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were driving and I was like, Hey, talking to her about this concept. Like, look, it's not about data. It's not about dashboards or a scoreboard this concept of like when you do these things like you just you know the company accelerates and you win and you grow faster i couldn't believe how did you get that domain and so this is totally off track but like it's so pure i mean it's just grow.com and i'm like god that much you either totally hit the lottery and no one had that or you had to go pry it out of someone's hands or something Yeah, no i mean all good domains are taken any decent domain crappy all domains are taken right so (laughs) like every Everything has to be negotiated. Yeah. So you know, it just it took a long time to negotiate, and um, and uh, but it's like, hey, that, that's kind of my advice. It's like when you know you reach out once and they say it's not for sale, it's like, um, yeah, don't, it is. don't stop. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go back to your cold calling days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, keep working, you know, keep pestering. So did you, did you then, you know, cause you guys have grown significantly. Um, you guys have been around for three ish years and did you, how, how did you structure? Did you get in some other investors? Did you, have you been funding the whole thing yourself? Kind of, you know, explain the landscape and how you've either gone full, full, you know, dove right back in, or did you kind of stay a little bit, uh, less risky on this? Yeah. So, um, one, I mean, let me let me back up and just say that, you know, uh, I learned from myself that, like, you know, doing the next venture is a lot more 
satisfying and I just, you know, I get fired up and um, get more enjoyment from that than like not, you know, not working. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I've, this is what I do now. Like I've, like I've come to grips that like I am an entrepreneur. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something else because um, that's where the passion comes from. So, um, you know, I thought I'm gonna just self fund this thing. Um, and so, three years ago, right now is when I was working on the idea, and I was. Um, I was looking full time for a a technical co-founder because I don't write code, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, looking full time for a technical co-founder, which is really hard. I mean, if you're going to start a software company and you don't write code, I mean, that's it's it's a hard that's a hard thing. I spent six weeks doing nothing but full time, like forty hours a week, trying to find a technical co-founder. Well, I'm sure that these and guys I, that you're trying to find too are making big bucks at big companies too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're uh, you know good developers. They're full stack engineers that you know can come in and architect something and start from scratch. I mean, um, and, and then we'll take the risk of like leaving a, a stable job is not easy. So, um, you know, three years ago, like today, I was out on my search. I found a guy. We started um, February three years ago, and then I hired a few other software developers. So it was me and five engineers <laughs> building building this for like nine months. Cool. So nine months, and I funded the whole thing and then got to the end um, of like close to launch and realized, holy cow, this is like much more complex than I thought. This is going to require much more capital than I'm able to do. Um, and so, and to, you know, how, you know, how do we solve the problem really well and how do we win in our space? Those two things like, you know, told me I needed to go raise money. So we went out and raised some venture capital money for this. And, and that's been a new experience and a great experience to be honest. Um, so, uh, that, that's what happened in the early, early days after we launched, we thought, you know, you, you launch something you build for nine months on the product and you think that like people are just going to come running with credit cards <laughs> and we have a big launch party. And, um, and I knew that you read things like that's not the case. And I was like, okay, that I know that's not the case, but that's not our case. Like that's going to happen to us, you know? And, uh, so we launched and, you know, just struggled in finding product market fit and, um, make, you know, getting feedback from customers and making this thing work. And, um, that, that was like the wilderness period of the company, the dark, dark ages of, of grow trying kinda, to figure that out. Kind of when you're a cold calling and, uh, living on ramen back in your old company, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, and I, you know, there's this video a friend shared with me and talked about like, the four C's and it just has helped me so much in that period, right? Whether it's cold calling with no success or, um, you know, or in this dark days of trying to figure a new startup company out and dealing with the struggles there, which is like, you've got the first step is commitment. And the second is courage. And the courage phase is like the phase where you're sick to your stomach and you can't sleep. And it's just, you don't think it's going to work. And then, then it becomes into like, it turns to capability and you start to see some success. And then the confidence is the four seat. 
and the confidence doesn't happen until after the breakthrough. But everybody says, you know, I want to, I'll do that or I'll start another thing or I'll, I'll, I'll do this when I have the confidence. It just doesn't work that way. It's like yeah. every breakthrough requires that courage. And, you know, so me knowing that and like just accepting it has helped in those periods where I'm just struggling. Because you've been there, done that already, which. Yeah. And got- I know it's like, okay, I, I committed to this because I knew it was the right thing. And now I'm second guessing myself and I'm, oh, I just am in this courage phase and I've got to stick it out. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. I love it. So if there's one thing that we haven't talked about, is there, you know, one major takeaway you'd have for our listeners? Oh, um, you know, I, uh, you know, the, the, uh, some of those things I, I shared. The, the other thought that I have is that, um, you know, the, the importance that somebody, the, the advice somebody gave me was the importance of staying humble in this going from, you know, after, uh, after some success and going on to like act two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the importance of staying humble in that period to help you, um, make a successful crossover. And um, I thought that was, you know, I just, I thought that was really good and that, that helped me along the way. And um, So, uh, you know, I hope, hopefully there's some things that I shared that will benefit some of the listeners there. No, I think that is, that couldn't have been any more applicable to our listeners and the, the topics that we talk about because it is, it's about the whole journey. And that's what the, like you just said, the importance of staying humble and then trying to make it into the second, second act and doing it in a way that's healthy. Right. And I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rob, what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? You know, if you go to grow.com, that's the, uh, the great domain and the, uh, the company, <laughs> Uh, website, um, you know, uh, that, that's the best way. There's forms on there you can fill out. You know, I keep an eye on those, and, and the whole team does. We'll be responsive, and uh, grow.com is where you go. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. You bet. Thanks, Ryan.